0: Well, I want to welcome everyone to Emmanuel. If you're joining us at the Banta campus, I want to welcome you. And those of you here at the Greenwood campus, I want to welcome you. If you are a guest with us here today, I personally want to say thank you for coming into our home and being our guest. Hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one. Uh, maybe you've gotten a cup of coffee or some hot chocolate out there or something like that. Um, hey, we want you to know that about a little bit about this series. You're jumping in on the fourth week, the last week of a four-week series. And this, this series of, of teachings has been about the soul. And the soul is a little bit mysterious. It's hard to describe, when we, even if we were to kind of poll the whole crowd and say hey, what is the soul? We'd get a lot of different answers, and so uh, it's been an interesting series. We've, we've discovered that, that we have a soul and that we are a soul. The soul is who you are, and we've discovered that you are your soul's keeper. In fact, the title of this series is called Soul Keeping, and we actually stole that title right off of a recent book that was published last year by a pastor named John Orberg. I read this last year, and I thought, man, what a great book. What if I just shared some of the big ideas from this book uh, with the rest of our church and maybe did, did it through the small groups, and I think that would be beneficial. And so, so far, it's proven to be so. Do you agree? Do you agree? Been helpful to you? Awesome. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a good series. And so it's been quite challenging. It's been a little bit uncomfortable. I've, I've had to ask you to kind of open up the hood and look underneath to see what's going on in there. And oftentimes we don't want to do that uh, because we don't want to find out what's really broken sometimes. We'd rather just move on with our lives. Uh, so it's been a little bit challenging. Hopefully you've taken my, uh, done some homework over the last couple of weeks. But that's really what we've been talking about. And The, the idea of this series is that we live from the inside out. Meaning that the condition of our soul determines the quality of our life. That's really kind of the big idea of this series. So if I have a healthy soul, if I'm healthy on the inside, then my outward life will go well. And, and we get this idea from the book of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which simply says this. Above all else, watch over or guard or keep your heart, which is a synonym for, for the will, the insides, the inner part of the soul. Why, why, should I, why should I watch over that? Why should you watch over your soul, your inner person, your inner being? Here's Why? Because everything you do flows from it. My actions, my reactions, my thoughts, my decisions, my choices. Everything that I do in my life comes from the inside. So if I have a healthy inside, I'm going to have a healthy outside. If if everything inside of me is all broken up and, and out of and disconnected and, and disintegrated and, and not working together well, then my outer life is going to be a little bit chaotic. Do you agree? My parenting and the way I spend my money and the way I handle my the way I handle manage food in my life and the way I handle, manage my free time and the, you know whatever it is that I do, it's gonna be out of whack because everything on the inside is out of whack. But what if, what if? What if we could bring some harmony and some wholeness and some healing to the inside, to the soul? What would happen then? Is it possible to live a life like Jesus? Is it possible to be able to respond and react to the situations in my life as they come up, as they arise, as Jesus would if he were me? Is that possible? And, and, and we have to say, yes, it's possible. If... We take care of our soul. If we have a soul that is like Christ, if we become Christ like, which is the main goal of the Christian walk, the Christian faith, is to become like Jesus on the inside out. And so, what we said a healthy soul is a soul that's able to respond and act like Jesus in the situations of your life. And if that's not happening, then where we need to make some adjustments in our life, because that is the goal, and that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to, if you were here last week, we used a huge watermelon to illustrate this. He wants to put all the pieces back together and restore your soul. And so what I want to do today is kind of talk a little bit more about the soul, wrap this thing up. There's so much more I would like to say. If you want to go further in this study, please get the book, because Ortberg goes a lot further into the soul than I do, and and the specific issues with the soul and and the solutions. I, I really, I chose this last uh, section or this last part to, to close with because I feel like it's, it's where I am in my own walk with God and my own soul. And so I'm just going to just gonna launch out and say, say it this way. Your soul, my soul, needs rest. It needs rest. It needs time to rest. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll, just, I'll kind of share an idea that Ortberg uses in the book and, and to kind of illustrate this whole, this whole principle. Uh, he, he's, he talks about a lady named Letty Coleman, who, who's a devotional writer, and she tells a story about a, a woman who went into Africa, and she, she wanted to do like a safari, and so she hired some guides and some, some people that, to kind of take her on this trip through Africa. And, and the first day, man, they made incredible time, and they covered a lot of miles, and she was so happy. And and then they went to bed that night, and the next morning, all of her guides and the people that were going to take her on this tour, uh, they, they, they wouldn't move. <laughs> and, and, or, and what she says, is that she, she goes to the guide, and she says, you know, why won't these guys get up? They're awake, and they won't keep moving. What, like, we did great yesterday, why can't we keep moving today? And, and, and the, the leader said, they're, they're letting their, their bodies catch up with their soul. No, 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 they're letting their souls catch up with their bodies. That's what he said. And then Letty, she writes this in the book, Ortberg quotes her. "This is really good." She says, "This whirling, rushing life, which so many of us live, does for us what the first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen." The difference? they knew what they needed to restore life's balance, and too often, we do not. Ortberg writes this in the next sentence, have you ever felt that you've needed time and space to let your soul catch up with your body? Let me ask you that question today. Have you ever felt like you've needed time and space to let your soul catch up with your body? Is anybody else's life chaotic besides mine? (laughs) I know I'm raising three kids with my wife and and we're at a specific phase right now where there's games, and we're in Southport today for a basketball game, and here and there, and there's another game tonight that I'm missing at 6.30. It starts in 30 minutes. And my wife is at a wedding right now, and I'm here, and I'm going to go to the wedding after this. And anybody's just, It's just life, right? And The two kids have to go to Grandma and Grandpa because they need a babysitter, right, and all this stuff. It's just go, 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 go you do that for long enough, and if you don't let your soul catch up with your body, there's going to be a breakdown. Do you agree? Something's going to go wrong. We live live rushing, chaotic lives. You know, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, if you don't come apart for a while, you're going to come apart in a while. That's profound. Do you agree with this? Something's going to break. If you don't let your soul catch up with your body, if you just live at that frantic pace all the time, pedal to metal, push, 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 Something, something's going to happen. You know, Jesus lived this way, and no wonder he was the healthiest soul on earth, because he, or to ever walk the earth, because he, he, he lived in this rhythm of, of produce and give and then rest. Like one time when his disciples uh, were, were out on a ministry tour and Jesus gave, basically gave them authority and power to do the things he was doing and so they went out preaching and healing and all these different things. And they come back and they're reporting to Jesus what, what they had done and what they had said. And, and, and I want you to see what Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 6. Check this out. It says where the apostles returned from their ministry tour and told him everything they had said and done. Watch this. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and say it with me rest a while. Rest a while. Why did they need to rest for a while? Look at the next verse. Watch this. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. You ever been there? You're, they're so busy. And so many people were coming, and people were finding out that if you had a sickness, you can come and be healed. And you could hear this, these amazing truths that, that had never been heard before. And this, was supposed to, this, this, guy, this Messiah was supposed to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And there was a huge buzz in the air. Jesus says, hey, hey, great job, guys. I'm so glad that you had a successful tour of ministry. You know what's next? A break. Let's come apart for a while and rest. You see, Jesus knew this rhythm it was so important for us, but we don't get it. We, we don't understand, like, how to let our souls recover or how to let our souls catch up with their body. That's really what I want to talk about today, but it's, it's, you know, it's not just the busyness. What I've noticed in my life, and, and I know it's got to be true for you as well, is it's, it's, it's the busyness, but it's also the pressure that comes with life, the constant pressure and I know there there are uh, pe- people all over the map here in terms of different roles and stages of life. And there's some of you who are in high school and college, and there's some of you who are married and single, and there's some of you who are young married and middle-aged married, and some of you who are older and you have grandkids and you're coming up in retirement age. And I know there's with that many different people in the crowd, there's all these different types of pressures. But here's what I can here's what I know for sure: no matter where you are in, in your stage of life, you have specific pressures on you. And they're there they're all the time. Pressures to succeed. Pressures to, to, to look good. Pressures to get married. Pressures to, to re- you make sure your retirement is, is doing well enough. All these pressures, pressures, pressures. And in my opinion, the busyness and the chaoticness of life coupled with the constant pressures to perform and do this or do that or meet expectations at work or whatever it is, that produces something called soul fatigue. See, the end result of those two things is Soul fatigue now if you don't know what soul fatigue is just think about physical fatigue for a second if if you watched the NBA Finals a couple weeks ago You'll you'll remember if you watch closely two players in particular uh, the, the point guard for the Cavaliers Matthew Della Nadova and uh, St- Stephen Curry uh, Who is the MVP this year? They both had to in different times go to the hospital after a game Is anybody following closely? They had to go to the hospital because they were completely fatigued. They had to have IVs put in their arms, and they had to be hooked up. They had to have fluids put into their body because they had gone too far, too fast, for too long, and their body was starting to shut down. And they couldn't drink water fast enough or Gatorade fast enough to replenish themselves. Well, soul fatigue is kind of the same way. We've gone too far, too fast, emotionally, deep down. Something has, has gone wrong, and we're starting to break down. My wife and I just got back from upstate New York yesterday. We, we, went, to, uh, we went up there with my, my wife's side of the family, and along the road, there were cars on the side of the road. They had broken down. They had, the car had either gone too far, too fast, without a checkup, without looking at the oil, without looking at the tires, without the, something had gone wrong, and now they were stuck. They should have been moving, and they weren't. That's, the, that's, that's what can happen to the soul, It goes too far, too fast, until something breaks and then everything comes to a halt. And it doesn't just impact you when it does, it impacts those closest to you. Isn't that right? Something cracks, something breaks. How do you know if you have soul fatigue? It's a great question. I want to give you six indicators really quick. Number one, how do you know if you have soul fatigue? Some of you are really going to resonate with this. (laughs) Number one, you're easily frustrated. (laughs) You're easily frustrated. See, when you're healthy, when your soul is healthy, you can overlook a lot of stuff. In fact, you have to overlook a lot of stuff because everybody's kind of annoying. <laughs> Isn't that true? Like, people are annoying. They just are. They do things. They do weird things, things you wouldn't want them to do. And, and, they're, and, and, and what happens is when, you're, when your soul is fatigued, things that you can normally overlook, you can't overlook, like like socks on the floor. See, now there's socks on the floor. Now you want a divorce. <laughs> I wish I was joking. <laughs> the toothpaste cap or the hair in the shower. What's that all about, ladies? Right? You, normally, you could overlook the hair in the shower. But now, because your soul is fatigued, it's like, there's hair in the shower. Now you're in a fight, right? Easily frustrated. That's, that's a... Now, I'm not talking, I'm, there's, there's a certain level of frustration that, that is somewhat normal. But when your soul is fatigued, you, you can't overlook anything. You're so easily frustrated. Number two, you easily give in to temptation. You easily give in to temptation. Things that you can normally say no to, you know, tempt, tempted to lose your temper, or you're tempted to, 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 to eat, overeat, or the chocolate cake, or whatever it is, or to have a second hot dog, or whatever it is, food-wise. You give in. You can't resist, Right? or temptation to lust, or temptation to do something. Normally, you can do pretty well at it and say, no, I shouldn't. But when your soul is fatigued, you're just weak, and you just give it. You give right into temptation. It's a sign that your soul is fatigued. Number three, you take the path of of least resistance. When your soul is fatigued, you don't have the energy deep down in your soul to to do the hard right thing, to follow through, to go the extra mile, to do the follow-up phone call, the follow-up email, to do the. No, you start cutting corners. You start taking the path of least resistance at the office. You don't put in the full effort at home. You disengage, you sit on the couch, and you do the easiest thing possible. Why? Because at the at some level deep down, you're done. You're done. And all of these other things take energy and effort and focus, and you don't have it. So you just take the path of least resistance, and you do as little as possible. Anybody there today? Soul fatigue. Number four, you get sloppy in your relationships. (laughs) I noticed this right away. I just, you know, relationships take work. (laughs) If you're going to have good ones, they take follow-up. They take, you know, kind words. They take empathy, listening. They take, you know, uh, getting back to people, uh, you know being kind, listening. Did I say that one? It was worth saying it twice. <laughs> you know? And when you're when you're so fatigued, you get real sloppy. You don't call people back. You don't, you actually, instead of saying the kind thing, you say the unkind thing because you don't have enough energy to hold your tongue. You know, that takes energy. You ever notice that? <laughs> it takes self-control to not say the thing you... But then you you start saying those things because you don't care because you're tired at the soul level. You just get real sloppy in your relationships. Remember what I said earlier, that the condition of my soul determines the quality of my life. Listen, if my soul is fatigued and I get sloppy in my relationships, does that affect my outside life? Come on, talk to me. Talk to me. I'm telling you that the condition of what's going on inside my chest, inside your chest, determines the quality of my life. And when I'm soul fatigued, I get real sloppy with people. Ah, no empathy, no love, no patience, just whatever. Get short with my wife. Get short with the kids, right? I said, Why? Why? Because I'm done on the inside, right? Have you been there? It gets to get real sloppy. Look at this next one. You become indecisive. I've noticed this about myself, that, that when I'm running down, when I'm losing energy, when I'm losing resources, I don't want to decide. I put things off. Anybody else? Why? Why, did, why? why do we become indecisive when we're soul fatigued? Here's why. Because it takes energy and focus to make decisions. You gotta weigh out the pros and cons. Well, if we decide to do this, what's gonna happen here? What are the results gonna be over here? If we don't decide to do this, what are the results gonna be? And, and it takes conversation, and especially if the decision is larger, right? You gotta talk these things through. But when you're soul fatigued, when you're fatigued at the soul level, you don't wanna put forth that effort. They put decisions off, then things get backed up, and then you don't decide. And, you know, life gets all chaotic. Why? Because things are all, there's a traffic jam of decisions that are being held up. All right, right? So the condition of our soul determines the quality of our life. We just get, some of you, some of you get so, you ever get so, so soul fatigued that, that someone says, hey, where do you want to go eat after church? Or, and you're like, I don't care, dude, dude, wherever you want to go, I'm not picking. Why? Because you don't even want to, you're so done, you don't even want to pick the restaurant. Right? It's real. It's real. Look at this last one here. We lack courage. Notice this about my life. Start to lack courage. When my soul is fatigued, I don't want to do the hard thing. I, gosh, I don't want to have the hard conversation. I get fearful. I want to back out. See, see, life takes courage, does it not? I mean, to live a good life, you've got you to step into scenarios that are difficult where there's risk involved. It might go badly. The conversation might not go the way you want it to. And, and, and you, when you're all like hunkering down and afraid and you lose courage, you just, you just don't address stuff. And again, is that going to lead you to the life that you want to lead? Heck no, right? And so we just back away. There's a great example of this in the scriptures. Uh, Elijah is, was a prophet, a uh, prophet. And First Kings tells this great story about this this huge spiritual victory that he had, and basically Elijah was he was getting really frustrated with the children of Israel because they kept going back and forth between worshiping God and worshiping Baal, which was a false god, and so there were all these false prophets that would worship Baal, and, and he was really one of the only prophets worshiping the true God, and so finally he just he just has, he's done. He's had. It. He says, you know what? he tells all the people of Israel, get the prophets of Baal here, and I'm going to cut up a, a, a bull, and I'm going to put it on an altar, and you tell the prophets of Baal to call upon Baal and to send fire from heaven, and if if, if Baal is real, then fire is going to come down, and he's going to burn up the, the bull and all this stuff, and then I'll cut up a bull, and, and I'll call upon my God, and if fire comes down from heaven and burns up the bull, then, then then my God is the real God, and he's doing this because he has the people of Israel in mind. He wants them to stop worshiping false gods, which was like like the first commandment, right? If you break it, you're in big trouble. And so he, always, so, so he lets the prophets of Baal go first. So sure enough, they start calling upon Baal, and there's nothing, you know, and they start cutting themselves and all over. So they're screaming out to Baal all day long. And Elijah's like mocking them. He's like, what's up? Is he sleeping? <laughs> is, he, is, he, is he using the restroom? Like he really literally, he's mocking them, right? Where's your, where is Baal? How come he's not answering? And so finally he's had enough. He says, all right, my turn. And he calls upon God and fire comes down from heaven and burns up this bull and all the water around the bull. And all of Israel says, the Lord is God. He's the one true God, right? That's not where the story ends, though. That's pretty cool, if it were where it ends. Then it gets kind of gory. Like, Elijah has all the people gather up the 450 prophets and takes them away. And they kill all these dudes. Wow. Sometimes the Bible is kind of shocking, like that shocks me, but you know, it's just like it's a really bad thing to worship idols, like it's the first commandment. So they put all these dudes to death, and Elijah's got this huge victory. He's got all of Israel on his side to worship the true God. There's only one God, right? And then this lady named Jezebel finds out what happened. Jezebel sends this message to Elijah and says, "Hmm, I'm going to kill you. And right after, Elijah has this unbelievable moment that gives him spiritual cred. You know, I'm street cred. It's like, you're the man. Like, you call buyer from heaven. <laughs> like, we'll listen to anything you have to say after that, right? Like, he's huge victory. Watch what he does in verse 3, 1 Kings 19. Elijah was, what? Afraid. And he ran all day long. He took off. He got out of there. He left his servant behind. Watch what happens in the next verse. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might, what? Die. One woman sends a message. I'm gonna, you're going to end up like one of those prophets. I'm going to kill you. Watch what he prays. Listen to this prayer. It's amazing. I have, this is actually what he says to the Lord. I've had enough. <laughs> you ever say that? I've had enough. I'm done, to kill you children, right, no, it's probably, it's not always to the children, but I've had enough, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died, what's going on with this guy, how could he say that, He just called fire down from heaven. Here, here's, what I, here's, here's, here's what I get from this, and, and maybe you get something else from it than I do. But here's what I get from this: like when you put forth energy, when you when you minister, when you help somebody, when you when energy leaves your soul, like it did for Elijah, and he has this big contest between who's the real God, and all the people are there, and it's huge event. Like you are left on empty. And if you're not careful, what can happen is if you don't fill that back up, if you don't get the proper rest of soul, if you don't let your soul catch up with your body, you lose courage and you could give up, just like Elijah did. That's some indicators, six indicators of how a person's, how you can know if your soul has been fatigued. Now, what do we do about this? This is not a good position to be in. Soul fatigue is not the place you want to be. How do we fix this? Well, in, in, in the book, Ortberg says something I, th- I think is profound. He said, the soul only knows borrowed strength. The soul really only knows borrowed strength. What that means is that I don't have my own strength inside of me. Like, I'm not my own God. I, like, my soul was made to draw strength from outside of my soul. And then, Now, when you get that, if you understand that and you believe that, and then you open the Bible, you're going to see this principle everywhere. From cover to cover, you're going to see this idea that, that man is meant to be, to be dependent upon divine strength to live this life and do what he or she must do and face the challenges that he or she has, like you have and like I have. Like, we don't have our own strength. We're to draw upon God. Listen to one particular passage in Isaiah chapter 40. Watch this. He gives, this is God, he gives power to who? The faint, the tired, the weary. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Listen to the next part. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their what? Their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, the whole idea that the prophet Isaiah is trying to portray here is that when you're tired, what you need to do is reach outside of your soul, outside of yourself, and draw in strength so that you can have power and energy and might to live this life. Like, if I don't lead you down that path as a pastor, I have failed you. If I, if I have taught you to look within yourself for strength strength, for life, I have failed you. That is not the way the soul is made. The soul is made to draw strength and might and power from God to live this life and do the things that you need to do. Have you ever noticed how it's impossible to parent children? <laughs> have you ever noticed how sometimes it's impossible to live with your spouse? I mean impossible. Physically speaking, human, humanly speaking. Have you ever come across a dynamic where you feel like you have absolutely zero energy to forgive somebody? It's because you don't. It's not just a feeling, it's a reality. If you're going to forgive that person, you need strength from outside of your soul to come into your soul to demonstrate grace and love towards somebody who's hurt you or someone else that you love. Like This is the dynamic. The soul knows only borrowed strength. From who? From God. So, Jesus gives us these three ideas, awesome ideas. I'm going to share them with you, and then we're going to wrap this thing up with a little bow at the end, and the whole series will be over. You ready for this? He's going to show us from a statement that he made in Matthew chapter 11 how to find rest of soul. Check this out. The soul finds rest in obedience. Three principles here, and I'll show them to you right from the mouth of Jesus. How does the soul find rest? Number one, it finds rest in obedience. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Anybody? Soul fatigued out there? See, Jesus is speaking to people who are tired, not physically, but emotionally at the soul level. Come to me, he says, and I will give you what? What does he promise? He's going he's to give us rest. Not vacation, Let me be clear about this. Vacation is another form of rest. I'm not talking about getting away from your problems. I'm talking about staying right where you are, but having enough energy internally borrowed from him to continue to live in your life where you are right now, okay? That's what Jesus is talking about here. The first principle is obedience. The soul finds rest in obedience. Listen, look at this word right here, come. Think of a coach, right? Basketball team, football team. He calls a timeout. What does he say to his players? Come on, come on. See, we've got a couple coaches in the crowd. Come over here. Why does the coach say that? Because the coach has something to say, doesn't he? Right? Come on. Like, like when I see my kids do something wrong, <laughs> they provide a lot of sermon illustrations. I say, come over here. And they don't come. And the reason they don't come is because they know I have something to give. And they don't want to receive what I'm about to give, right? But I have something to give. Jesus says, I want you to come. I want you to, I want you to come because he has something to give us. See, the be- soul rest begins with you and I coming, surrendering. See, here's the thing that, that a lot of pastors don't preach. I, I don't think they do. At least that's what I've heard. <laughs> Churches in general. Is that Jesus is master. He's Lord. He's in charge. From the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, he owns me if I claim to be his follower. It's yes, sir, every day, all day. It's yes, master, whatever you say. That's the Christian life. And so I come to you because I surrender my life to you because you're in charge of all of me. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that says that he purchased me That he lives inside of me, and therefore I should glorify him with my whole body and my spirit, which belong to him. See that? He is Lord. And so what do you do with a Lord? What do you do with someone who's in charge? You come to him when he calls. Come, I have something to say to you. I have a direction for you. I have a way of living for you. But you, if you want it, if you want to find rest, you first have to come. And that is the problem. Many of us are not having soul rest because we are not coming to the master. We are not coming to the Savior. We might come to church. That's different from coming to Jesus every single day of our lives, saying, Lord, what say you about all of my life? And whatever you say, I will do. That's the first step in finding soul rest. See, Jesus is baffled when people don't do this. He's confused. In fact, in one particular passage, he said so much himself. In Luke chapter 6, watch this. Why do you keep calling me person who's in charge, person who's in charge? Why do you keep referring to me as the master, master? Why are you saying that to me, but in the same breath, you're not doing what I say? I'm confused. Maybe you're confused today about what it means to be a Christian, Here's what it means to be a Christian. He's Lord, and you come to him every day, and you get your instructions, and you do as he says. You obey the master. That's the beginning step of soul rest. I'm going to explain how that works. Number two, watch this. So that's number one. The soul finds rest in obedience. Number two, the the soul finds rest in learning. In learning. Not learning information like you would learn math or science. Learning in the sense that you learn how to type or ride a bike. Learning in the sense that you know how to do a something. Watch what Jesus says here in the next part. Take my yoke upon you and, and let me teach you. Again, not knowledge about what's going to happen in hell or the end times or in heaven, what heaven's like. Not knowledge like that. Is that necessary? I'm sure it's necessary to some degree. But that, I'm not, he's not going to teach us in like... Christianity one hundred and one doctrine, what God is like? No, 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 no. He's going to teach us a skill, a how to how to live, right? Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And here's what's going to happen if you if you learn what I'm about to teach you, you're going to find what for your souls. What Jesus offers is is a way of life, not an education. We get so focused on that sometimes as Christ followers. We want to learn something new about the Bible. But we're not not that interested in becoming the type of person God created us to be. And Jesus is saying, look, here's what I want to do. I want to change you on the inside. I want to create a healthy soul out of you so that when people are around you, you actually bless them and, and alter their life, right? And so what is the yoke of Christ? You know what the yoke of Christ is? The yoke of Christ about the teachings of Jesus. He says, come to me. I have something to say to you. I'm going I'm to teach you about lust. I'm going to teach you about money and how to handle it. I'm going to teach you about humility and how to be a servant. I'm going to teach you about anger and how to live without it. And so when you open up the Gospels, what do you see? You see teachings about how to live with people. One time Jesus said, here's the deal. Watch this. Greatest relationship principle you're ever going to hear. Do unto others as you wish that they would do unto you. Oh, what is that? That's a, that's a skill. That's like learning to type. That's something I can do or not do. See, I don't know how to type. I'm a plucker. I skipped typing class in high school. I did. I cut right out of that thing. So here I am at 37, I'm a plucker. I don't know, I don't have that skill, but, but I'm learning, I'm, it, 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 there's a process here, but I'm learning how to live without anger. That's a skill. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you would have rest of soul if you could live your life without anger? You think that's rest of soul? Do you think it's rest of soul if you can walk through this life and never lust after someone who's not your spouse? That's something you can learn to do. Do you think it's rest of soul if you can go through this life and f- actually forgive those who hurt you? Wow. No bitterness, no resentment, oh, no hatred. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the yoke of Christ. He says, come, 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 come. I've got a way of life to teach you. And if you would learn these skills, you'll find rest for your soul. Isn't that beautiful? That's why at this church, I don't teach classes on what's going to happen in Revelation and the end times. I don't teach that stuff. I don't teach about the prophecies in Daniel or the prophecies in Isaiah. I don't teach that stuff. Should I? Maybe at some point. But, but I'm, I'm, what Christ has called us to do is to become different people. And if the information that we have in the scriptures is not leading to transformation of our lives. Perhaps it's not the priority. You see that? See how it all comes together? What I will teach is the yoke of Christ and the teachings of Jesus. Why? Because they find, in them we find rest for our souls. Now, number three, watch this. This is, this is awesome. The soul finds rest in trusting. The soul finds rest in trusting. This is beautiful. Jesus says in the last part of this statement in verse 30, watch this. He says, my yoke, my teachings, my way of life, it's easy to bear. It's not burdensome. It's not going to weigh you down like the Old Testament law did to all the Jews. And the burden that I give you is light. In other words, there's a way to go through this that's, that's beautifully light. And it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't come upon your neck and weigh you down and, and just make things heavy. No, it's not like that. How is that possible? How, is, how are the teachings of Jesus or the yoke of Christ easy and light? Well, here, here, here's, the, here's the idea. In the yoke, a yoke was a device that would bring together two animals so that they can pull more weight that they can pull than they can pull individually, right? So it's the picture of this device that goes around two oxen. Who's in the yoke with you? Who's there with me? If you open the Bible and you look at the teachings of Jesus, what's the main idea? One of the main ideas. Of course, love is the main idea. But but what's the other main idea? I'm with you. I'm in the yoke. In fact, Jesus, that's what he meant when he said, look, the kingdom of heaven has come. You have access to me now. I live in you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you every step of the way till the end of the age, Right? This is the teaching of Christianity, that Jesus is with me. Now, if he's with me, pulling the yoke, what do I have to worry about? What do you have to worry about? If you enter into the yoke of Christ, right, what do we really have to worry about? Anything? Come on, talk to me. If the creator of the universe is with me, living in me, in the yoke with me, pulling the load with me, what do I have to get anxious about? Absolutely nothing. But I have to trust that he's there. I have to be aware of his presence. I have to live within the reality that Jesus is pulling the load with me as I face parenting issues and financial issues and church issues. He's with me, he's with me, he's with me. And, and, and here's the beautiful thing, and this is, this, is where the, this is where things get really easy and really light, okay? The result is in his hands. The end result, the outcome, is in his hands. That's the beautiful thing that provides rest for the soul. A couple years ago, uh, two years ago in fact, our church was launching its first site. Banta was being launched. And we're getting things wrapped up. It seemed like all the bills, all the final bills came in at the same time. And many of you were here for this. Maybe you didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, but... We didn't have a whole lot of cash on hand to pay those bills. So as I was looking at the bills and with our elders and our staff, it looked like we were going to go in the red, right? Because it was all coming to a head at one time. So I started to get anxiety like I had never had before. And I'm like, oh, this is just not me. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm easygoing. I like to have fun. Life is good. Jesus is awesome. And I'm losing sleep. And now I'm worried. What's going to happen? Oh, my gosh. So I felt led to do something to, to change my state of mind and, 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 you know, come at things from a different way. I knew I wasn't living in the yoke of Christ, so I did, I, I did a fast. I decided to stop eating food for a few days, and, and I just prayed to God. I said, God, I have anxiety. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm worried we're not going to have the m- enough money to do this. I'm losing sleep, and you know, and I'm starting to get worried that maybe I made a bad decision or the wrong call as the leader of this church. Maybe it was bad timing and so I start to question my own leadership. All, these, all this stuff is wrapped up. You ever do this? Drive yourself nuts? And so I did this fast and I started praying, God, you know, I, I just help me, help me, help me get through this. And during that fast, God led me to a passage in the book of Mark about the kingdom of God and how it functions and how, how we're supposed to live in this, in this world This is what it says. It's about two farmers. They go out and they they plant some seed and and, and they do their work, right? So it's not about sitting on the couch watching TV. They do their work and they plant their seed and they plow their fields. And watch this. Night and day, while the farmer sleeps or is awake, the seed that he had planted, it sprouts and grows. And And then this is the part that blew me away. But he does not understand how it happens. He didn't make it happen. And the next phrase, watch this, what Jesus says The earth produces the crops on its own. Farmer, I don't need you anymore. And here's what God said to me <laughs> two years ago I don't need you anymore. You planted some seed, you plowed the field, I don't need you anymore. This is going to happen, and you're not going to be able to understand how. <laughs> and so the fast ended, and I thought, wow, okay no more anxiety, no more loss of sleep, I didn't have any answers, because God had said, I don't, I don't, I don't need you anymore, I'm going to make this happen, this is my will, I want to make disciples more than you do, Danny, do you, isn't that crazy, sometimes, sometimes I think I like disciple making more than Jesus does, (laughs) it's ridiculous, it's like, no, that's my passion, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, with or without Danny Anderson. <laughs> and so I stepped back, and money started coming in. Paid our bills, and here we are two years later. Banta runs about 700, 750 people every weekend, people getting saved like crazy over there. We're getting ready to launch our third campus in the next two years. And I sit back. I have to sit back and go, if you ask me, hey, how'd that happen? I'd say, I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, I kept doing what I kept doing, planting seed, talking to people. I didn't change anything. Just left, it, left the outcome in his hands. What if you live that way? What if I live that way? It's like, look, I planted some seed. I plowed the ground. Like, we're not talking about laziness here. We do our part, right? And then we go, okay, God. You're in the yoke with me. You're the king of kings and the lord of lords. You got this. I'm trusting you. I did, w- I did my part. Now I'm going to trust you to, do, to add your divine to the, to the natural. Right? And watch what happens. What am I saying today? Hey, I'm not saying that rest of soul comes from going on vacation. There's, there's another. That's, that's pretty good. Okay? I'm not saying there's nothing to that. Taking a break, getting out of town, all that stuff. You need to do that. I'm talking about staying right where you are, but coming to your master, learning his ways and trusting that he's going to produce the results. This is not a sermon. I'm trying to live my life this way. Am I successful all the time? No. But that's what Jesus taught us to do. Will you join me on that search? You'll find rest for your souls. Now, for for some of you here today, I want to tell you That Jesus invites you in to this relationship. He invites you in to find soul rest. He invites you in to have your soul forgiven, cleansed, and washed. Now let me say this really quick before we wrap up. A lot of people think that Christianity is simply about going to heaven when you die. And there's no doubt that that's a huge part of it. That you need to have your sins forgiven and Christ died on the cross for you to pay the penalty of your sin. And if you put your faith in him, you can go to heaven when you die. You can be washed, you can be redeemed. But that is just the tip of the iceberg. What Jesus is offering is not just eternal life in the sense you go to heaven when you die, but what he's offering is abundant life right now. True rest of soul, true peace, true joy. As you learn his ways and you walk in his rhythms and you follow his teachings. How do you start that? Well, you start that by putting your faith in Christ. Yes, you will receive eternal life in the sense that you'll go to heaven when you die. But right now, you can step into a new quality of life that Jesus referred to as abundant life. So if you would like to put your faith in Christ today and accept the offer of grace, forgiveness, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's a very simple prayer. It just says something like, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from my selfishness and I turn towards you. I acknowledge you as my Savior. Forgive me, be my savior. Something like that. If you would like to say that prayer today, I'm gonna lead you in that. If you feel ready, please bow your head and close your eyes. If this is the time that God has for you, just say this to him right now, he's listening. Dear Jesus, I come to you for forgiveness, for grace, for eternal life. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I confess I need your mercy. Enter my life, wash me, cleanse me, and be my savior. And help me from this day forward to follow you, to enter into abundant kingdom living to obey you, to learn your ways, and to trust you. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, uh, I would encourage you to go pick up one of these one-year Bibles back here to my left and to my right. And if you're in the balcony, uh, or if you're at Banta, there's tables back there for to your left and your right. The reason we want to give one of these to you is because when you come to him, The primary way you come to him, step one in finding rest for your soul, is by coming to his word. And so every morning when I get up, I come to God in a specific place, and I open up this book, and I learn his ways. And to the best of my ability, with his help, I try to put them into practice, much like I would try to type, or ride a bike, or tie a rope, or whatever. And what you'll find is over time as you practice, you'll get better at living without anger, living without lust, living without fear, living without worry, able to forgive your enemies, and you'll begin to enter into the abundant life that Christ promised. That starts with coming. You've got to come. So if we want to give you one of these if you pray to receive Christ today. Can we give God <laughs> glory today for what he's done? You can't see it with your eyes sometimes, but you can feel it, you can sense it, you can taste it. I sense it very powerfully tonight. The, the, the quality of eternal life is beautiful. It's a treasure. Seek it. Live in it. Experience it. It's what God has planned for you. And then what will happen is it will spread. It will spread to the people around you. And they'll notice, they'll notice the quality of, of your life changing, and they'll want some of it. And you won't have to preach at people. You'll just talk, and you'll share. And then you'll invite them in. And then they'll meet Christ. And that's what Jesus intended to do. And here we are 2,000 years later doing it. Will you enter in? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to stand here to try to explain your words. I tried my best. I pray that you would take the words tonight that were spoken and seal them in our hearts and help us to live them out. That we might truly find rest for our soul. That we might have our souls restored. And ultimately, God, that you would use us to impact our entire community and our world for your glory and honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.